Welcome back to the California Work Comp Report. It's Tuesday, December 1st, 2021, and today Dr. John Alchemy and me, Corey Olson, discuss today's topic, what do primary treating physicians actually do in workers' compensation? All right, we are back in the studio, and today we are talking about what primary treating physicians actually do in workers' compensation. I'm here with Dr. John Alchemy today. How are you, John? Hey, Corey. We are back again. Yeah. Fine. Yep. 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 Um, and uh, yeah, so we have a we have a blog which we always mention at the end of our episodes, mm-hmm. and um, we have formally written one blog post called Work Ethic, The Duty of the Physician and Workers' Compensation, in which we outline that the role of a physician is to be, um, as John has actually put it previously, the quarterback of the injury in the workers' compensation claim, um, which, uh, you know, we, we outline a lot of the kind of details of, you know, what a PTP does, a primary treating physician for workers' compensation claims does in the office, um, but they do a lot more than that. But I guess we'll start with the absolute basics. And John, I will ask you, what is a PTP? Yeah, we, we've written about this before. And, um, you know, looking over prior, what we've, we've touched on this topic, it's been more of, uh, more of a legal administrative responsibility, the PTP. And what I really wanted to get out of this um, podcast or this series of podcasts is, you know, what is the primary treating physician really doing? And how do we better understand his or her role in taking care of patients and actually navigating the system in real time, as opposed to you know what what the uh, what what you know the 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 book says they do versus what they really do and how well it gets done or how well it does not get done. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I think we'll touch again. Again, the primary treating physician is the quarterback, absolutely, of mm-hmm. the claim. And, um, you know, that's really the, the centerpiece of a work comp claim. And although there's some treating and diagnosing that goes, you know, along with that role, mm-hmm. there's also a lot of um, administrative systems that that primary treating physician has to have at their disposal to get the system to work. And that's why some people have better experiences with work comp than others, because if you don't have the infrastructure in place, and this is where I think a lot of people don't understand, you know, work comp is one of the heaviest um, administrative lifts of all medical specialties, just because there's so much paperwork and so much intermediary, um, you know, peer reviews going on and authorizations and calling and scheduling, you know, all of which we'll talk. Yeah, it's, (laughs) it's, it's amazing. And and um, it's not unusual for one primary treating physician to literally have um, a support staff behind the scenes of about mm-hmm. 20 people to make this happen. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you wonder why um, people don't want to do work comp. It's because you have to have an amazing um, uh, infrastructure in your office to do this. And it has to work and be efficient. Otherwise, it's more expensive for you to see patients than to make any money to support the practice so you can stay open to take care of them. I mean, this is a real problem. And that's, you know, why we can't find people in the MPNs to do work comp. Um, You certainly, you know, can't have a practice that's, you know, just a little work comp because you might as well have it a lot of work comp because you got to have the same infrastructure in place and the same people, whether you're seeing one patient, um, you know, or 50. 
Mm-hmm. So it's, um, it's, it's a real um, challenge. And, and I really don't think that a lot of people, including the insurance companies, uh, understand, you know, what's at stake here to have a successful management of a work comp claim. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And I mean, you know, hearkening back once again to the, this previous article that we did, I mean, we had a, a long article just explaining the the basics of of the the description that yeah. a, a PTP might tell you, which by the way, just just for ultimate clarification for anybody that is is listening that knows nothing about the work comp system, um, welcome. And uh, and um, the the primary treating physician is the doctor that sees the workers comp injured patient at at, at the most sort of um basic level. So th- this uh, podcast covers the additional duties on top of all of the, uh, you know, in, in office, uh, you know, during the appointment, what they're doing. So, um, all right. So, you know, w- when we refer to the work comp system, we're talking about a system, which is something that, you know, is comprised of many people, many departments, many, many interests. Um, you know, you, you have an employer, you have the employee, you have the insurance involved, um, you have the entire state departments like the DEU and the DIR, which is the um, um, Department of Industrial Relations is a DIR, and the DEU is the, oh goodness. The Disability Evaluation Unit. The Disability right. Evaluation yeah. Unit. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, then, uh, and then the DWC, of course, the Department of Workers' Compensation. Um, and so in in the middle of all this, you know, you have the, the injured worker, but the injured worker is not the one handing out all the information and making all the measurements. It's the PTP. Um, so, uh, John, the next question being, um, how is the system structured around PTPs uh, with with networks, in, uh, particularly? Well, you know, when a patient comes to see a doctor, particularly if they've never been in the system before, they have no idea you know, how to navigate this. And they're really um, totally dependent on the primary treating physician to lead them through Mm -hmm. um, sort of this, uh, this maze of, you know, treatment authorization, um, you know, recovery, all these things. And the system in general is, is scheduled with an insurance company of some type um, that has networks of all kinds of things, anything you can think of that would require, you know, treatment or durable medical equipment, like, you know, a cane or a brace or a splint, um, medications, um, anything that requests, um, you know, a determination of appropriateness of medical, uh, medical necessity, it all goes through one system or another um, that they've set up. And it's the access to these systems and knowing how to get the request for treatment, um, you know, surgery, physical therapy, medications, whatever, understanding how the insurance company is set up and each insurance company uses different systems in place. Yeah. And, and so, um, you can imagine that if an average, you know, work comp doctor is, you know, dealing with, let's say 15 insurance companies across, you know, their, their total practice, 
each insurance company might have a different vendor for scheduling an MRI or, you know, ordering a durable medical equipment or um, scheduling physical therapy or only certain physical therapy, you know, offices um, are signed up for the network and others, you know, and they do this, you know, the, the networks, in my opinion, are created for two reasons. One is to save costs and contain costs, which has to be done. Yeah. Um, but the other is to make sure you have willing participants in the network who will see a work comp case, you know, and even, even when you pull up a list of people that are, you know, quote unquote, in the network, um, a doctor's office can spend a lot of time calling this, this list that's published on the insurance, you know, website, you know, as uh, like, here are orthopedists, you know, in this zip code. And, you know, it's really up to the doctor's office to start making calls and saying, will you accept our patient, you know, and, and many times they'll pick up the phone and say, oh, we haven't taken work comp for years, mm -hmm. you know, well, why are you still on the list, you know, mm -hmm. and so this is the kind of issue that the primary treating um, office runs into, and this is the kind of wasted resources um, that, that happen because you know you have to hire someone to help the patient to call and figure out an appointment to fax it. The fax always gets lost. You fax it again. Maybe the third fax they find. So there's a lot of wheel spinning that goes around, um, and people wonder, you know, why does it take me six weeks to get my first physical therapy appointment? Well, this is why, you know, because yes. there's so much bureaucracy behind the scenes and so much confusion and poorly updated, you know, networks that, um, you know, when you're really in the trenches trying to help people find care, um, you know, it's very difficult. And sometimes there is no one in the network at all, Yeah, you know, and, and um, we'll talk about that a little bit more, but, but this is really, I think the biggest miss that people understand about work comp is these primary treaters are doing very heavy lifting when they're bringing a new case into, um, into service. Mm -hmm. And, you know, now you're dealing with a new network or a new insurance or, you know, the insurance adjuster just changed. And we'll talk about that too. But, but there is, um, there is a lot of confusion, even for practices that have been around a while, um, as to, you know, how to help people navigate this system. I think you probably listed, you know, uh, probably 10 different things that, you know, that are involved with working with the network and doing all of that stuff. And I was just kind of trying to extrapolate that in my mind. And I was just basically for everything you said, the only way that I could rationalize it is just to hire somebody new for the practice. Uh, just sets a workload just seems so massive. And then you multiply it by the number of networks that you're working with and everything. And then you, you know, compound that with the number of patients that you have. It just, it does seem like like madness, um, madness that can be controlled with the, uh, you know, with the, with the correct staff and, and, and the correct, uh, you know, primary treating physician at the head of it. So, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. but, but, but even with that, it's, it's overwhelming. Even if you have great people, you know, your staff's not turning over and, and, uh, you know, out of, you know, and, and the insurance company staff's not turning over. Remember you have two variables. It could be your staff that someone comes and leaves or it could be someone at the insurance side. And rarely do you ever get notified if there's a change on the insurance side until you call up and they say, well, you know, Mr. Smith's no longer here, you yeah. know, or, you know, Karen is covering for Mr. Smith, but she's on vacation. Who's yeah. covering for her? We don't know. Yeah. We'll have to check with the claims <laughs> manager on that. Karen you know? will be back in six weeks since she can tell you what Mr. Smith thinks after, yeah, you know, or, exactly. or, you know, or, or um, <laughs> oh my goodness. 
yeah. so yeah madness absolute madness um and and so now we're getting uh to the point of of finding a primary treating physician in the network um and and how does that work john well i mean if you think of this that you're on the monopoly board and you're at the start you know the first thing you have to do is to find a primary treating physician to help you go around the board and um, that is a big challenge for a lot of people and employers mm -hmm. as well. Um, they're like, hey, you know, I pay every month to have work comp insurance. If I have an injured worker, I expect some service and I expect, you know, something for my money that I'm paying for. Yeah. And so they call up the um, uh, insurance company. I have an injured worker. I'm filling out my paperwork. They need to be seen. Mm -hmm. And the insurance company is supposed to have a network of primary treating physicians um, that are willing to see them, but um, the doctors are not always available, or maybe they're in a geographic desert where there is no um, work comp provider available, and you're basically out of luck, or you're looking at driving, um, you know, 80 to 100 miles one way um, to find a doctor to get seen, or maybe you were just in the emergency room, your arms in a cast, and you know, you're taking Norco, you're running out of medications, you can't go back to work, no one's written you a follow up work note. Mm -hmm. And you and the employer are basically just stranded. Yeah. So you know, finding that primary treating physician is a big deal. And then finding a primary treating physician that's a good fit for the patient um, is even a bigger deal. Because obviously, um, patients and doctors don't always get along or see eye to eye or have different ideas about, you know, how the care should be seen or, you know, access to the doctor's office if they have a question or need something. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you, you get stuck um, with, with the, you know, randomly assigned primary treating physician for at least 30 days. And then you can change or you can get represented or something like that. But again, going into it, patients and employers have no idea really how this works unless they've had injuries before. Yeah, absolutely. We've, um, <clears throat> we were, um, proudly a little bit ahead of the game on the telemedicine thing. And, um, yeah. at, at least, at least I will say proudly, uh, uh, and, and, you know, uh, but we, we were ahead of that. And basically the main reason that we were, uh, uh, su such loud proponents of it from, from the get go was the fact that it, it opens up the the opportunities for many to find uh, work comp positions in areas where there are, as you mentioned, no work comp positions where you'd have to drive 50, 100 miles to go. And stay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so, yeah. So finding, yeah, finding a, a PTP in the network um, is, is, you know, easier now than ever, but it's still not easy because, you know, there is still some contention over workers' compensation. There's still, you know, people just still don't know about it in general and things like that um but but uh it, it's easier now than ever but it's still not easy so. yeah and i think the work comp system is kind of coming around i mean COVID, you know moved everything forward five years in my opinion with telemedicine but um you know, the, I mean, when you think about it, and insurance companies are willing to reimburse people for their mileage if you can find the form and if you can send it in and if you ever get money back, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and when you're an injured worker, particularly if you're not working, you know, suddenly you don't have any income and, mm -hmm. you know, a uh, hundred miles worth of gas is a really big deal. And if yeah. you're asked to be going to see that doctor every 45 days, that's a big deal. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you can't pay your rent a big deal. So there's a lot of pressure on, you know, the injured worker suddenly and unexpectedly, 
um, you know, when they file a claim and if they can't do telemedicine, you know, eventually they'll just either drop their claim or not get care or, you know, maybe go on to have unnecessary permanent impairment because yeah. they just didn't get the care in a timely fashion, you know? Absolutely. So it's, it's really sad um, when that happens. And I'm really hoping that the industry comes around and realizes that, you know, telemedicine is an efficient way that really helps out the, the core customers in work comp, the employer and the injured worker, because that's really what the whole system's here for. Workers' compensation is kind of one of those few things that are kind of, you know, available to all people who are, you know, W2 employed and, and, and everything like that. It's, it's, um, you know, there, there, there aren't many things granted, you know, as rights to us, uh, of, you know, that, that aren't just sort of, uh, come at a premium, um, um, health insurance, you know, writ large for, for, you know, people in general is, is just, not you know it's it's privatized so you have to pay for it so it's 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 awful to think of just sort of the hurdles of workers compensation being a deterrent for you know somebody getting something that they are entitled to in the state um which is yeah it it is yeah so it it makes it difficult um on top of it like i said many times they have no idea how it works um mm. you know they don't get called they can't you can't get a call back, you know, it's just incredibly frustrating. And, you know, and, and you're not even going to get into the system or get care until you get a primary treating, you know, physician. Mm -hmm. And the emergency room is not um, a primary treating clinic, really. Yeah, Although some people have thing. to use it that way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, John, um, I have in my notes here something that I'm very curious about. And um, this, is, this is a prompt for a question that you gave to me. And it's not so much a question as it is sort of a, uh, a a nice little phrase which says, "Welcome to the game of musical chairs for adjusters." And I would love to hear more about the the game of musical chairs for adjusters. Yeah, well, you know, I'm and I'm just going to be speaking from my experience. I've been doing work comp now, you know, 20, 25 years, almost. And you know, there's there are adjusters that go the distance in their jobs and there are adjusters that just can't take it for whatever reason, one way or another. And it is, you know, by all means, a stressful job. Yeah. You have a lot of unhappy people calling you constantly. Um, they're all wanting something and, you know, you're expected to respond to them with some level of, you know, customer service and help. Um, and so you've got, uh, an employer may be calling in complaining to them that, you know, their employee can't get seen the employees calling in. I can't get seen. I'm hurt. Nothing's getting done. Mm -hmm. um, and then you get the doctors to start to call in and say, you know, why aren't you guys, you know, responding to us? We sent this three or four times, you know, this was approved yet. The patient went in and was told, you know, they don't have authorization. Um, and then you throw the fourth party in there, which is an attorney, um, you know, calling them to compel, um, you know, threatening litigation, um, you know, taking them in front of the work comp. Goodness, you know, and you're already busy as it is. <laughs> and then you yeah, I mean, you can understand why it's not, you know, maybe your first choice um, at, uh, you know, vocational day at mm -hmm. school, you know, to be a work comp adjuster. Mm -hmm. And um, as a result, and again, these are my opinions, but um, many of these insurance adjusters do not last or they 
bounce between different companies. Um, yeah, that's, and, and I've seen that, you know, before too. Um, yeah, there's a degree of burnout in that profession that I, yeah, maybe more money, maybe less stress, you know, and then they get there and maybe not, you know, what I was mm-hmm. told, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But, but this is a real, real challenge because, you know, people wonder why does it take five years to close a work comp case in California? You know, why does it take 27 visits for me to, you know, close my claim on a simple low back strain. Mm-hmm. And this is really at the core of it is this um, incredible slowing down of time um, to have things happen. I mean, if you and I were having like a remodel done on our kitchen, like let's say it would normally be done in the real world in maybe three months if we, you know, weren't in supply chain stuff. If we're comp or re- remodeling our kitchen, we'd be looking at three to four years, you yeah. know. And maybe, you know, one day out of two weeks, the the crew would show up and, you know, remove the counter and, you know, maybe another month and a half later, someone would come and take the plate covers off the switches. I mean, this is, it's glacial, the, the speed at which this system moves. And it's totally amazing to me um, that anything can get done. You might know, as well, um, might as well hire the city of Philadelphia to come and fix, my, <laughs> <laughs> fix the kitchen. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> well, you know about that, but <laughs> yeah, 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 that's true. Yeah, I'm out here in Philly, but uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. But, but uh, here in California, it's um, it's it's really frustrating for a lot of people, and and I think the insurance adjusters are equally frustrated with the system that they're placed in. I mean, you know, they they are you know have limited control over it. And it's these networks and all the bureaucracy. See, what I, what I don't think people understand is that work comp is the perfect storm for bureaucracy because it has this overlap of employment law, employers, people that don't really know medicine that are, you know, controlling medical procedures and medical care, and then yeah. hiring all these people to act in proxy on, you know, their best interests. And it's just so many cooks in the kitchen yeah. that, you know, everyone's tripping over each other, um, trying to get just basic stuff done. And unfortunately, I think it's getting a little worse and it's not getting better. I mean, that's my, my oh, take yeah. on this trend. And we'll talk about that more too. Yeah, absolutely. There's, uh, you know, as, as we, you know, as I've honed in on the idea of like the, the system or rather zoomed out to the idea of a system, you know, multiple mm-hmm. times, what, what you said about, even, you know, insurance adjusters don't want to do this either. And so you look at this whole thing where, you know, everybody's not being kind of, everybody's sort of dissatisfied with something and everything's kind of, you know, lame and slow moving and things like that. It, it, I, I was just remembering, this is sort of anecdotal, but I was remembering today, I was telling somebody about a concert that I'd been to where it was a, it was a, a bunch of musicians playing together they all knew each other and everything and uh, one of the musicians that played um performed uh, one of his songs on three separate occasions during the show and uh-huh. by the third time it was like you could kind of tell everybody on the stage and everybody in the crowd kind of was like uh we could have just left this too <laughs> and, and and you and you have to wonder it's like well whose idea was this anyway or, or, or something, or, or, you know, I guess, I guess it's a little more awkward to, well, I guess that's a good metaphor because it's kind of awkward to stop a song right in the middle, but mm-hmm. we do have, you know, a system, which is something that technically, you know, never stops or isn't supposed to in a, in a running system, but yeah, there, there is a point at which 
something must be observed that, that something must be changed and so you know us in collaboration you know with with the workers comp system or we're, we're not i mean we're 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 a part of the workers comp system but we're not you know collaborating with the, with the law of it or anything but but in connection with as, as well as sort of the many changes that are going on the adoption of telemedicine and everything like that hopefully this is enough to sort of grind this wheel to a not you know not so much a halt but maybe you know help it change course so it doesn't steer into an iceberg like the titanic or something um <laughs> you gotta wonder sometimes you do you really yeah. do um uh, before we move to the last question uh this is a part one of two series um as we mentioned in the introduction um uh and so we're coming around to our last question and you know regarding so so we've discussed so far you know what a ptp is how kind of their workload um and how this uh system is structured around them with with um you know medical networks uh we we discussed how to find a primary treating physician in the network and why it's difficult and how you know the the scheduling and all of the the craziness and all of the stakeholders that can get involved is really a mu a game of musical chairs for for adjusters. Now, we're almost we're, we're about halfway into this, and you can already see you know quite quite illust illustratively um, that the job is very difficult. And once again, we're not even halfway through talking about the role of a PTP in workers' compensation. But as we kind of get ready to break this into two parts we have to talk about finally the dark underworld of third-party vendor scheduling <laughs> well i think our listeners are going to ask two questions um one why is it a dark underworld and in two who, who absolutely are the <laughs> I, I mean who which usually sounds sounds really cool to me but i think in this case it's you know a, a less than ideal yeah, you know, and, and these the third-party vendors, um, I think, were invented maybe about eh, five to seven years ago. They've become more popular, and the idea was to um, remove some of the work for the insurance company and remove some of the work for the primary treating physician and make it more efficient and have this third-party vendor know, you know, who all the network providers are, and um, and then you just, you know, tell the injured worker, someone's going to call you and they're just going to take it from there, um, which sounds really good. And I'm sure when they were coming up with these third party um, vendors that, um, you know, I'm sure it sold really well. It sounded great. You know, hey, let's get the, these injured workers faster treatment. We're just dedicated to the logistics of, you know, calling the injured worker, getting them on the schedule, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, yeah. you know, it's going to be all sunshine and light. Sure. Um, well, <laughs> so, so it turns out in reality that when you get these, um, that, well, let me back up a little bit before the third party vendors came along, the, um, doctor's office, the primary treating would get authorization from the adjuster and there would be a network list and the doctor's office would call and, um, hi, you know, um, physical therapy tree office. Um, you know, we have a patient to see you. Great, fax it over. Um, we'll call the patient, um, and and that's the way that it worked. It was a direct contact from the primary treating physician's office to the secondary 
treating clinic, be it physical therapy, orthopedics, nerve conduction studies, MRIs, you know, mm -hmm. all that stuff. Um, so then they bring in these third party vendors and um, that is taken away from the primary treating physician clinic, which um, I think a lot of primary treating physicians were great, less work for my staff. Mm -hmm. Well, think again, because, um, you know, the, the, the experience, again, I'm just talking about my experience and, mm -hmm. and those that I've talked to um, in the business, but, you know, the patient um, gets a mysterious call sometimes at four or 5 a.m. from Florida. Um, they don't know what this call is. It doesn't say who it is. Um, sometimes a message is left. Sometimes it isn't. Um, when they do leave a message, hey, this is the third party vendor we're calling to schedule your MRI. Okay. Um, and, and so uh, give us a call back. So you give them a call back and you're put on, um, you know, permanent hold. Um, you're there. I've, I've literally had some patients on hold for two hours and first and off two hours they're just hung up on it the call just has ended i've i've had that happen too and and let me the the notion of a mysterious call from florida is somehow terrifying to me uh, i don't I, especially if you're I, in california i mean that's true yeah yeah, yeah. I, I don't think I even get uh, scam calls from Florida. I think that's only <laughs> they were talking about a dark underbelly here. No, I'm kidding. Respect mm -hmm. to all our Florida listeners who are listening to us, even though we're primarily concerned with California things. Um, uh, yeah. So so that sounds uh, third part. I mean, as if, you know, I, I, I guess that using the term third party in that context is appropriate. But but, you know. It seems like there are multiple, you know, fifth and sixth and seventh party already in, in the work comp claim, even though mm -hmm. they're more uh, sort of lateral than, you know, in, 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 a, in a line. But, uh, you know, yeah, that I mean, sometimes I hear third party and that says like, oh, that's, you know, something that will accelerate like a process that, you know, one, one thing doesn't uh, isn't, you know, optimized to doing. And another side of me hears third party and immediately goes, oh, no, <laughs> you know, who's who's trying to who, who else wants skin in this game? But I could see how the where the enthusiasm comes from and where it drops off as well. Um, so, well, yeah. yeah. So so think about this. So you get a call from your patient. I was on hold for two hours. I got dropped. You know what happened? And now your back office has to call this third party vendor and say what happened. And guess what? They might be on hold for two hours and they might get dropped, <laughs> you know? And then what do you do? Then you call the adjuster and say, say your third party isn't doing what they need to do. Fix it, you know? Yeah. And, oh, that adjuster was gone last week. You know, that kind of... <laughs> oh. but, but you can see, you can see that this thing ultimately causes more problems than it solves. Really? Um, yeah. And the problem yeah. is, is that they have these centralized call centers, again, in my experience, mm -hmm. usually out east, um, and, you know, they're trying to coordinate care for offices. They don't know where they're located. Um, they don't know, you know, um, sometimes they don't know who's on the network. Um, sometimes, sometimes they'll even go as far as to say, okay, just stay on hold. We're going to call over to the MRI office right now and make you an appointment. And mm -hmm. that doesn't go very well. You get dropped. Uh, MRI office doesn't pick up. Yeah. Okay, we've got to try tomorrow. I, I mean, the list just goes on. Exactly. And on. Exactly. And, and I've had one patient that literally, um, you know, lived up by the Oregon border and they were told that the nearest MRI center that the third party vendor could get them into was in Fresno, you know, like 
like a six hour drive one yeah. way, oh, um, yeah. you know, and, and that's just a non-starter. So then the, the primary treatings office has to call back. We have to get an out of network authorization. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, let me call with the vendor again. Okay. I guess there isn't anyone. We'll give you that, you know, go ahead and make the call. So now we're just doing it on our own, but we've burned three hours of office time. Exactly. You know? Exactly. And that's, yeah. that's three hours of office time for everybody in the office. You know, that's the cost of them, you know, the, the employees working, they could yeah. be doing, you know, exactly. So, so um, again, just, just an amazing, um, you know, challenge and, you know, the, the third party vendor, maybe once upon a time, it was something that was well-intended that actually worked. Um, but I think you could ask a lot of, you know, doctors, um, uh, you know, even, even the, the network facilities trying to work with the third party vendor and the patients, this is just another obstacle to care. And it's really, really frustrating um, when someone can't weight bear on their knee because you're concerned that they have, you know, a, a severe meniscus tear and it's going on five weeks, mm-hmm. you know, and they still can't get their MRI um, and you can't get anything off the ground. It's, you know, it's that bad. It's so <laughs> it is, it is a, it is a very convoluted system and, and it's definitely does not benefit from of uh, you know private additional entities in my opinion uh, I, yeah I, th- I think that's that's very well said Corey yeah, yeah. Uh, so um, so next month we will be following up with the part two of this series um, in which you know as as a, a quote that I've heard attributed to to many people when you're going through hell keep going and uh, <laughs> that's and we are currently in the dark underworld and so we uh, <laughs> We, we, you know, we will be uh, emerging into the light of understanding with our next mm-hmm. podcast. Um, but that, that said, I don't think that we left this on a, a dark note by any means. I hope that we left it on an informative one. But, um, you know, to, to kind of recap at least the first half. So, John, how should we recap this first half of our series here today? Okay, well, first of all, let's, let's remember this is like um, you know, the, the rubber hitting the road podcast, you know, mm-hmm. this isn't like what's supposed to happen according to the, the court and gavel. Okay. Absolutely. This is like how the sausage really gets made in the primary mm-hmm. treating physician clinic. Mm-hmm. Um, and many don't want to know that either. <laughs> a lot of people don't want to know, but we're going to give you a little of the recipe here. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm going to answer that, bring you right into the factory here. Exactly. So, Mm -hmm. you know, just to recap what we talked about, you know, what is a primary treating physician in the real world and what are they expected to do? Um, What kind of tools and systems um, are they provided with to help the injured worker and the employer get this uh, injury moving forward? Mm -hmm. Uh, Finding a doctor um, as a primary treating in the network, you know, how does that happen? How do we, you know, get off go? Um, The access of the um, insurance adjusters and um, the turnover that's challenging with them and their position and uh, their perspective and what they, they're expected to do. And then lastly, um, trying to execute and getting people scheduled for services and treatment using a third-party vendor. So that's the recap. That's what we covered here today. And we hope that, um, we hope that you learned, you know, if, if you're not a primary treating physician, we hope that you, you know, have, have learned uh, an iota of of the difficulties faced by primary treating physicians 
And uh, if you're an aspiring one, I hope that we did not discourage you because I think John has said many times in the past that it's very rewarding. <laughs> and if you are currently a PTP, I hope you listen to this and you found it at, at, at the very least cathartic to listen to. Um, yeah, so we will be back next month. Thank you again for coming on the podcast, John. Yep, and we'll be back and we'll do part two and we hope everyone joins us. Thanks for listening. For more information about PTPs and workers' compensation, visit our blog at blog.rate-fast.com and give RateFast Express a spin at rate-fast.com.